All right. Good morning, everyone. I think in about 30 to 40 minutes, the 90% of the class is going to be coming in here when they realize that today is, what we, do we call this? Uh, spring forward day or whatever it's called. So hopefully uh, they will be here at least on time somewhat. So good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. This morning we're continuing Colossians chapter 4 as we're coming to the end of our short study. This is the 34th lesson. I know it sounds like a lot of lessons, but, you know, let's face it, we could have probably made 34 lessons in the first chapter alone. Uh, Not because I'm wordy, but because it's just so much in the Word of God. Next week, please make sure you return. Bill Treby will end the series in the uh, chapter 4, verse 7 to the end. And so uh, I think, I really do think that's an exciting way to end the series. I'm so glad that Bill is available and will be able to do that. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, what do we have if we don't have your word? Father, as we've said so many times before, you have revealed yourself through your word. You have created all things through your word. You uphold all things through the word of your power. And Father, we thank you so much that this word is not just something spoken, it's a person. It's a person who cares for us and who has saved us and loves us and who communicates to us and speaks to us and we can speak to him. So Father, thank you that your word is just not an impersonal sound, but it is the most intimate and personal activity of all. Wrapping us up and drawing us as close to yourself as humanity can come. Father, thank you for giving us your word, not only in salvation, but sanctifying us and cleansing us, purifying us, transforming us, conforming us to the image of your Son. Father, protecting us, providing for us, warning us, correcting us. Father, is there anything in our life that has not been done that is not in your word? Father, we have everything through your word. And so, Father, we pray as we study this portion of your word this morning that once again, it not just be words on paper, but that it will be the dynamic activity of your spirit conforming us by and into this very word. Father, we pray that not only in this class, but in the times when we hear sermons or speeches of your word or sharing, that we will never be those who evaluate what happens depending upon how we feel about it at the moment, but we will drink in your word as dry soil drinks in the water and waters the plant. Father, do your great work in us. Father, we desire continually to be the fourth soil that brought forth that great abundance of harvest. Father, protect us from being any other kind of soil that chokes off your word. Father, do your full work in us. Minister to us this morning by your Spirit. We thank you for being present with us and always being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But this morning as we continue... Paul has been 
in these last several verses in this last section of Colossians, having told us and laid for us a great foundation of why we are God's community and how we are God's community and what God's community is to look like, and has dealt with the issue of sin in our lives personally and then how that communication of God's community is to be working out among us relationally. And so this morning, he's dealt with these relational aspects of the community of God in the family, you remember, and now we talk about the witness of God's community to the world. And so Paul now turns his attention to the public witness of God's Word. We've already de- he's already dealt with the private, in-the-church witness. And interestingly, and remember this, he always begins in the church. You know, it is very important for us, and this church does a good job in this area, that we have our sights set on evangelizing the world. But we have to remember, even though we're in the midst of Alpha Beginning Tuesday, that evangelizing the world is a step toward the greater purpose of God, which is the building of the church. And so our energies and our preoccupations need to be set first on the foundation if we're going to be those who evangelize on the way and the reason we evangelize, and that is the maturity of the church. And so Paul has dealt with the issues in the church. If we're going to be a community that impacts the world with a witness of the gospel, we have to first be a community that lives the gospel, and in the living of the gospel, that is the work that is demonstrated by God to the community so that the world may see a visible reality of who Christ is through the body of Christ. And so he begins this today, or we begin this today as we continue in this. And so Paul gives them four, or gives us four instructions in these verses. He says, pray, he says, watch, he says, walk in wisdom, and he says, speak with grace. And of course, these are just four general areas, there's a whole lot more. So let's look and see what he has to say in verse 2 of chapter 4. Paul says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the Word to deliver the mystery of Christ. Why does Paul begin with prayer? We're going to start talking about the witnessing to the world. Now, typically, if we're going to be talking about let's be witnesses to the world, many of us wouldn't start with prayer. We start with door hangers. We start with telling our neighbors something. We would start with whatever. But Paul says, hey, wait, wait, there's a place to begin, and this is the beginning place. And so let us not do anything until we do what God tells us to do as a beginning place. So he says, begin with prayer. You see, as God's community, our communication with God is strengthened and developed through our uh, communion with God, rather, is strengthened and developed through our communication with God. Now, you notice I use three words there. First, there's community, then there's communion, and then there's communication. All three of these words 
are equal. Communion equals community equals communication. Those three words are interchangeable, if you would, and all three of them describe the person of God within himself. God is a community. God is a communing being, three persons communing. And how do they commune? They commune through their communication. And so we see that communication is a vital aspect of our ability not only to commune with one another, but to commune with God. Communication is one of the most vital aspects God has given us. Why is communication so important? Why is prayer so important? Why is it so important? Why is it so important that husbands and wives speak to one another? Why is it so important that we have communication abilities with one another? Why is it so devastating when you haven't been talked to, when you feel left out of conversations or whatever? What is the essence of this? The essence of our communication is to be reflective of the way that the three persons of God commune. And you see, remember this, everything about our lives other than sin, everything about our lives personally and socially is about God because we are made in the image of God. And even fallen beings, even those who are not saved, they need communication, they need communion, they need community, just like everybody else. The difference is we have that which God is in himself in a functioning way that connects us to God, and they are not connected to God. So communication is a vital aspect of our communing with God and communing with one another. So the next time your wife says something to you about Let's talk. Why don't we talk enough? And Gene would say this, you know, men don't do a lot of talking sometimes. How many of you men are real communicators at home? Not many. A couple of you raise your hands aren't married. That's great. So, so why aren't we communicators at home, brothers? Well, there's pride and there's sin and there's all kind of things mixed up in it. Why is it so important? Why do our wives want us to be better communicators? Because you see, built into them is that desperate desire to know us. And where does that come from? God's desire for us to know Him. And so the need and effect of prayer was evident, especially on the day of Pentecost. You remember on the day of Pentecost, all these people were in the house of John Mark. They were upstairs in the upper room. And the Lord told them to do what? He says, stay around, remember before the ascension, and do what? Remain together, be praying, and waiting. Waiting for what? Just wait. Well, what's going to happen? Just wait. Trust me. And so as they were gathered together, together, you see that word together. Again, together is very important. Why? Because it is reflective of the togetherness of the three persons of the Trinity. And so as they were together praying, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends upon them, enlivens them, fills them with His power, and they go out from there, and the gospel begins to be spread around the world. And in fact, if you look at the book of Acts, prayer is one of the primary means of strengthening the church and promoting the message of the gospel. Prayer is mentioned ten different times in Acts. 
And so prayer is that activity of communicating with one another as we are communicating with God that God uses to undergird and is one of the paths the Word of God and prayer, the two paths that come together at that highway, that, what do we call it uh, in England? I'm thinking of dual carriageway, that two-lane highway upon which the gospel flows into the world. Prayer is that highway on which God sends the gospel. You remember the life of Jesus. Was prayer significant? Was it central? Yes, it was. Listen to this from Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, in the incarnation, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus prayed. He prayed continually. He prayed without ceasing. He prayed early. He prayed uh, in the evenings. He prayed at all times. You see, Paul is concerned that the church develop this same kind of spiritual habit of prayer, not only for him, but for themselves and for the benefit of the gospel. You know, when we look at the church today, probably there's a lot weak in the church. But prayer is probably one of those areas that is of the most weakness. Let me encourage you to do this. Do not consider prayer, although, well, let me say it this way, and I've said this before. How many of us practice the presence of God in prayer during the day? Do you know what I mean by that? Riding along, thanking God, recognizing God, praying here. There. We, don't we all do that? Is that what we're supposed to do? Yes, yes. But is that the kind of prayer that Paul is talking about? I, I don't think so. It isn't that he said, oh, no, don't do that kind of prayer. Of course he says Pray without ceasing. He says, I speak in tongues, what? More than all of you. So the man is a man of prayer. His life is permeated and peppered with prayer. But you see, if my daughter is still living in the house and she's, you know, one of the little girls or whatever, little boys, you know how kids are, all day long, in and out all the time, we're talking to her and chatting with her and doing this and that and the other thing with her. And so there's conversation, there's communication all day long. That's what we do with God. We're chit-chatting with Him all day, and that's appropriate, and it should be. And if you're not doing it, you need to ask yourself, what's deficient about me? Ask God to give you a much greater sense of His presence and the activity of His Spirit all day long. But what a difference, and as I've said before, if your child comes to you and says, Dad, Mom, could we just sit together and talk for a while. If we just sit together, you know, if Hannah comes up to you and says, Dad, could we just walk down the street together and be together and talk? Isn't that a much deeper and more satisfying experience than just running around all day long? It is. Don't, how many of us would love, maybe our children are older, but even now, would love to have just a one-to-one -one conversation of depth with our children don't we want that? You see, don't we want that? You notice I didn't always say the children with their parents, even though we have the youth in here today. <laughs> I'm not going to take a chance on that one. This is what prayer is. So if you're among those who all day long your life is peppered with prayer, I say, thank God, thank God, thank God. 
But please don't allow that to be taking the place of that personal one-to-one communion with God. Don't do that. And when you do spend your time in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, whenever it is, when you do spend your time with God in prayer, don't spend your time mostly about the things of your life. Get to know God and listen to Him and sit with Him and enjoy Him and let Him speak to you. Let Him speak to you. Just enjoy Him. Quiet for a little while. Don't have that list and 15 things to talk about and 42 people to pray about and 62 of these others. And once you've done that, you shut the door and you walk away. Sit with the Heavenly Father. Sit with your God and let Him begin to commune with you. If you're not used to this, begin to develop it. To say, Lord, you know, I am here this evening for you and with you. I'm setting aside all my, quote, prayer needs for a preference of being with you and hearing from you. I want to experience you for who you are. You see, in our busyness, we fail to do that. That is probably the most significant activity of prayer that we can have. And I dare say that after you have done that and after God and you have communed this way for whatever period of time, If you get up and, quote, have forgotten to pray for your needs and for others, do you believe that God will not minister to those needs? How many of you think that because you didn't ask, God won't tell you? You see, let's be communing people with God, communing with Him. And let's learn that as we commune with Him, certainly there is obviously the time of sharing and asking and requesting. But that should never preempt the time of personal communing and knowing God. You go somewhere, you sit down by yourself, and you say, here I am, Lord. I just want to hear from you. And begin to listen to him. And at first, it may seem strange. You may need to develop that time and activity of being alone and not, quote, saying anything. It sounds kind of quiet when you're not talking. Shouldn't someone be saying something around here? And you're going to begin to hear the still, small voice of God speaking to you. You see, Paul is concerned about the development of the spiritual activity and the strength of the church. You see, if they are to walk worthy of the Lord, if we are to walk in a way that pleases God, we must walk on the two legs of prayer and the Word. Prayer and the Word. And these are the two things that probably we have to fight the most for. Why? because they are the most foundational issues of our life. And these two are the areas where Satan will attack us and give us great, most, the greatest area of difficulty and challenge in any other area. Prayer and the Word. So as we pray this morning, as we go through this, and as we listen to this material, let me encourage you. Be people of prayer, and let's be people of the Word. For the sake of communicating God within the church and outside the church. Paul says, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be watchful in what? In prayer. 
in this instruction, this instruction, remember, echoes the word of Jesus to his disciples in Gethsemane. Remember, when he goes into Gethsemane with the men as he's preparing to go to the cross, they've had the meal, they get up, let us go out, and he goes into Gethsemane, and the men come with him, and he takes three others with him further in. You remember who those three were? James and John and Peter. And he said, y'all three wait here. Watch and what? Pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You see, it's interesting that steadfast prayer keeps us alert. What are you supposed to be watching for? What are we watching for? Watch out for the attacks of the devil. Watch out for your own flesh. Watch out for those issues that are going to throw you off. Be aware of what's going on spiritually around you. Be aware of your own weaknesses. As we pray, as we develop this communion with God, the Holy Spirit is so good to be instructing us about what we need, about what's out there. How many of us know that we may have been averting great danger and disaster simply because in prayer the Holy Spirit says, why don't you go this way? Why don't you not go down that way? Why don't you stop for a moment? And the possibility is, had we not done that, there would have been a great problem on the other side of that. You know, if you're like I am, and I don't know how many of you are, you may never want to admit to that, I'm going down the street, and I get to a light, and it's a red light. Now, I don't like red lights for me. I like red lights for the others. You see, when I'm going somewhere, I'm ready to go, and I want to go unencumbered. I'm the only one like that, right? Nobody else likes red lights and stop signs and all that. How many of us have when we almost made the light and it got red, or the person in front of us is going so slowly that they make the light, but we get caught. Man, what's wrong with that person? Now, Gene would tell you, I never complain about these things. <laughs> How many of us think maybe had we not been there for that light, we could have been killed. Someone could have run a light and killed us. And he's protecting you. He said, wait, wait, stop. Don't go any further. Slow down. Turn here. You see, how do we develop? Wait, wait, what's happening here? There's a conversation here. You're not getting, letting me in on this conversation. How can we develop the sensitivity to hear the voice of God. You see, God is speaking to us all day. He may say, you know, you forgot your glasses. Or he says, you know, don't go until you do this. Or don't do God speaks to us all day long. And here's what I'm learning. I'm not there yet, but I really am learning this. That if I'm doing something and I hear, don't do that or whatever this, or do, I'm learning to listen to that voice. You say, well, it could be the devil. I don't think the devil is in the business of protecting us and helping us. I, I just don't get that flavor from the word. And if you get that flavor from the word, and it's amazing as we pray, as we spend time with God, 
as we watch, as we are attentive, that time with God, we're, He is clearing our spiritual ears and He's causing us to be sensitive to that very little bit of tug, of touch, of emotion in us, of a little whisper. You're going out and you forgot your keys. And you, you think that way. Oh, no, I have my keys. You get in the car. <gasps> if only I had. How many of us have had those moments? See, God is always talking. In fact, God talks more than I do. Now, that should really send some of you into a tailspin. <laughs> He's always talking. So in prayer, this is God's gift to us of developing a whole lot but also of developing this sensitivity to his quiet, calm voice. You leave and you think you didn't lock the door. Oh, yeah, it's just amazing how God will speak to us. And maybe one of the reasons you haven't experienced this is you haven't spent enough time with God in prayer. Let me encourage you to do that. What is the centrality of prayer? Where is the significance of prayer mostly demonstrated? Where do you see it? Where do you see it? Where in the Bible do we see most powerfully the significance of prayer? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me ask you this. Suppose Jesus had not prayed do you think he could have gone to the cross? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Did he pray just because this was a rote religious activity? I had to pray, I'm going to the cross, and this is what I do. Or was it necessary for the Son of God, the Son of Man, this man to pray that God's will be done in him, even to the cross? Was that necessary, Greg? If it wasn't, why did he do it? Suppose he had not done it. Isn't that an interesting question? I don't know the answer, and I don't, we're not given the answer, but we do know this answer. Prayer was absolutely necessary for our salvation to been, have been affected by Jesus. Can you get that much? Prayer was the battle of the cross. Prayer was the battleground of the cross. Because in Gethsemane, the will of one man was tested and not found wanting, where the will of another man was tested in another garden, and that man failed, and Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here comes another man in another garden, and under worse circumstances, even worse, this man says, I will not give in. Father, is there any other way? Have I missed something? Is there any other way? And this is a, a three-hour deal here. Remember for the first hour, the second, you remember this. This isn't just something happening in a moment. And when you read Mark, the Bible says, and Jesus kept falling to the ground, collapsing. He kept perspiring blood. 
This was, an, this was the greatest battle and wrestling of humanity against the devil and the flesh that ever has or ever will occur. This was the monumental battle of eternity. You think the cross is. It isn't. The cross was there, and what word do I want? I can't find my word there. The cross occurred because of Gethsemane. Prayer. In the cross, you see, Jesus came to the reality in Gethsemane, I'm going to do God's will. And then he does God's will at the cross. The battle is not at the cross. The payment is at the cross. Amen? The payment for our sin is at the cross. So don't think the cross is a great battle. Satan was defeated in Gethsemane. And the reality occurred at the cross. When Jesus laid our sins on the Son of God and punished him, and when Jesus died, that was a death knell for Satan death, and all the old corrupt humanity. The battle was in Gethsemane. The battle was in the prayer time. How much in life do we lose because we are not praying? How much in life do we miss because we're not praying? How much weakness do we have because we're not praying? How many of our needs are not being met because we are not praying? I need to stop and go on to other things. He says in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. I mean, Paul is asking for prayer for himself. I mean, who doesn't need prayer if Paul doesn't need prayer? How many of us would think, well, Paul doesn't need to be prayed for. This is the apostle Paul. And yet this man, <clears throat> as gifted, as anointed, as this man has, revealed, has been receiving the greatest revelation that any man has ever received other than the Lord Jesus, even greater than Moses. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, this man out of the body, he says, I think it's out of the body, but I'm not sure. He has taken up the paradise, the third heaven, and he is given directly by Jesus. You see that in Galatians 1. I didn't receive this gospel from man, but from Jesus Christ himself. And in the face of Jesus, sitting at that Sunday school class, that great class, Jesus the instructor instructed Paul as to the meaning of the Old Testament and its fulfillment in Christ and what it's going to be, how it's going to be applied and what it, how it is going to be administered into the world through the Gentiles. Paul receives this greatest of all revelation, the mystery of the church. Now you think, having received that, having this anointing, having this gifting, this incredible man, if anybody doesn't need prayer, Paul doesn't. And yet Paul is supremely aware of his need of people praying for him, of people praying for him. You know, the longer I minister, the longer I'm on staff here, and this wasn't the way it was in the beginning, <clears throat> the more I'm realizing I can't do this without prayer. I mean, I don't know. I know yesterday we had the men's, uh, what did we call that, uh, the men's meeting. And how many of you, I don't, there may be not many in here, but I ask many for prayer. Many for prayer. Why? You see, because the fact of the matter is, even the Apostle Paul included, we cannot do and accomplish the will of God and minister the Word of God apart from prayer. 
because God is not going to give his glory to self-accomplished people, but people who are imbued with the power of the Spirit. So when the work is done and, the and, and God's ministry is accomplished, we can't say, well, James, I did a good job in preaching that. Man, I'm good. No, even if the whole church is ministered to by a word, what is my best comment? I am but a servant of God. I'm but a megaphone. I'm but a channel. That's all I am, and that's all any of us are. You see, like Paul, like Paul, we, I'm sorry, like us, Paul needed prayer. He needed prayer for personal ministry and maturity and self-control. He needed prayer for wisdom and understanding of God's will. He needed prayer for discernment of Satan's schemes. He needed prayer to alert himself and, and us and to protect us from sensuality, from sins. He needed prayer for effective sharing of the gospel. We need to be praying for governments and officials, for personal needs. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for all levels of ministry activity. We need to pray for the unsaved. We need to pray for the empowerment of the Spirit. We need to pray in every season and during every occasion. Paul says what? Pray without ceasing. Our walk with Christ needs to be drenched in prayer. Drenched in prayer. And then he says... Pray this way because I'm, you know, on account of which I'm in prison. Paul reminds them that the ministry cost is imprisonment, persecution. We can't get away from this. When we walk with Christ in this world, we will be persecuted. <clears throat> Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. You see, although Paul is in prison, you remember he's in prison now. So he's not out in the street. His concern is for that he will make the mystery of Christ as clear as he can through the preaching of the gospel. And we need to pray for effectiveness, for clarity, and for understanding also. Can you imagine this? Think about this. God has put the accomplishment and the success of the gospel in us. God, who needs nothing, who needs no one, who is totally and eternally sufficient, he has decided that he will use our prayers to further his purposes on earth. And you see, the question is, what happens if we don't pray? <clears throat> if I don't pray for Joe Blow to be saved, will he be saved? Do you have an answer? I don't know. He may be saved or he what? May not be saved. And that really messes with sovereignty, doesn't it? I don't know. But you see, I cannot say, well, if I don't pray for him, Steve, if I don't pray for you, God is sovereign. He's going to take care of you in another. I don't know. I don't have that in the Word. Do, do we have that? Is that in the Word, Bill, that you, you remember? Does God ever say, well, Bill, if you don't, I'm going to send somebody else. We're going to take care of it. No, that's not in the Word. All we know is this. We need to be obedient. There's a reason for obedience. Suppose it were true, and absolutely we were sure, that if there was someone we did not pray for, they would not be saved. How many of us would that transform our prayer lives? I'm the only one? Wow. Two or three. We don't know. 
Mike, we don't know, do we? <clears throat> he says, walk in wisdom toward the outsiders. You see, after, in, excuse me. after encouraging the church in the discipline of prayer, Paul exhorts them to walk in wisdom. And what wisdom is this? This is the wisdom of God. You remember he has prayed for this in chapter 1, verse 9. I pray that you, what, be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember that in verse 9. It is God's will and wisdom that differentiates the church from humanity. It is God's wisdom, this secret wisdom that, that God has given to us, that as we live that way, the people are astounded and in awe. You remember with Jesus, he blew people away for his wisdom. He was a kid, and I'm, I'm, I'm using it that way because this is the way the Pharisees saw him. So I don't like to say Jesus is a kid or that guy, but I'm referencing it that way. <clears throat> Here's a kid from Nazareth. He doesn't attend except the normal school. So, you know, he's just a normal kid. He's not trained in the things of the Pharisees. He's not in the higher education world. He doesn't have a Ph.D. I mean, for goodness sakes, his dad is a carpenter. And at 12 years old, remember Luke 2? He's sitting with these PhDs, these PhDs who've had 30, 40 years in the Word. And he's sitting with them, and he's discussing the content and the meaning of the Word of God. And they're sitting there like, oh, oh my word, who is this? Who is this kid? Oh, my heavens. they never seen anything like this. The wisdom of God pouring forth from him. You remember the Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And then you remember one time when they were trying to catch Jesus in Mark or any of the Gospels, the, the synoptics, and they gave him a kern. Now, those of you from New Orleans know what a kern is. Everybody else, we would say coin. <clears throat> and they gave him a coin, and they're trying to trap him. And he said, hey, are we supposed to obey Caesar or God? And he said, yeah, give me that coin. And he says, whose inscription is on it? And what do they say? Caesar. And what was his reply? Render unto Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and unto God the things that belong to God. And they could not believe it. <clears throat> See, this is the wisdom that, that captured the heart and mind of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. A man filled with wisdom. If you want to have a good revelation of what the wisdom of God is and how it works and its impact, read the first six chapters of Daniel. Those are the stories, and in chapter 7 to 12 are the revelations or the visions. And see what these kings and these officials realized and how they reacted and what was their experience as they listened to this little Jew boy. This boy whose God was conquered and captured and brought into Babylon. This nothing God of this nothing people. The great Babylonian empire has swallowed them up 
And yet it is this little man, this little Jewish guy of this nobody kingdom and of this no God Yahweh who is now rocking the place with wisdom. And what does God show there? He shows the glory of himself through the wisdom that is in this man, Daniel. It's incredible. The conquering gods of Babylon are outwitted and outwisdom by this subjugated Yahweh. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. Our speech will often be the first and sometimes the only testimony of the gospel we're able to share. <clears throat> you know, I've been in these situations, perhaps I'm unique here. I've let my mouth run off, and then the opportunity for sharing the gospel is like, mm, I don't know whether I should say something now. Anybody do that? You just let yourself go. Now, I'm the only one, right? And you let yourself go and you realize, what about the gospel? What about the gospel? How many of us have run people away from the gospel because of the way we have begun to communicate? Just communicate on normal things. You know, you're just stepping on my grass. Oh, by the way, would you come to Alpha? <laughs> Because we just love God. <laughs> I know I'm the only one who's ever done this. <laughs> you see, we're always, we're to be always ready with God's wisdom to communicate the gospel clearly and accurately, but with wisdom and with grace. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 3:15: In your hearts, sanctify or honor Christ Jesus as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect. Christians, more than any other people on earth, we are to be always watching and guarding our speech to make sure it's peppered with grace. Why? So the God that we proclaim is known and at least is experienced in us to be the God of grace and not the God of nastiness, hatefulness, spitefulness, impatience, and everything else that so often some of us portray too often. You see, the way we speak and the content of our speech is a significant means of communicating the truth of God. Therefore, speak with grace. Is speaking critical? Is what we say and how we say it and what we ask critical? Just read chapter 3 of Genesis and you'll see how critical conversation is. Amen. Well, next week, Bill will finish the uh, study of Colossians. Thank you so much.